Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the teams of Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host Brian Gaughan and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, February 17th, 2024, over the long President's Day weekend. So, Brian, you're old like me. <laughs> Do you remember when President's Day got started back in 71? Um, to believe it or not, n no, because um, in Chicago and in, in a Catholic school, we still had the two days. We had Washington and Lincoln, and then I moved to California, and I don't remember it until I was maybe in high school, and, and that would be in... Um, Oh, 75 or something that we really switched over. So I remember having the two weekends um, off in February. And then when I, you know, graduated, I didn't even think about it until the kids started going to school. And then I realized, oh, they put them both together. But then I think for a while, they, some school districts kept on, because I think it was a, a union thing too, that um, they had so many days uh, the teachers did. It's interesting you you mentioned you know where you lived and and you know holidays and uh, you know and recognizing holidays and that sort of thing and uh, you know uh, we just had uh, you know Martin Luther King Day uh, recently and New Hampshire uh, not exactly covered in glory <laughs> when it comes to. Martin Luther King Day. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Reagan declared it a holiday back in June of 1986. And New Hampshire, as I recall, didn't actually get around to recognizing it for 14 years. Mm. To be fair, I think we still do the same thing with, with seatbelts. You know, it's just sort of like, <laughs> you know, no... You know, again, you know, the, the, we're a state that really takes the whole notion of live free or die. You know, in that case, it's, you know, you want to drive into a bridge abutment <laughs> and fly out of your seat because you're not wearing a seatbelt. Absolutely. Isn't that your state motto? <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it wow. is. We're, <laughs> you know, but again, that's uh, George Carlin used to do this wonderful piece of stand up about. You know, I travel around, I visit a lot of states, and you look at the mottos on the, 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 the you know, the, the license plates, and it's like, Idaho, it's like famous potatoes. It's like, all right. You know, on the other hand, you go to New Hampshire, and it's like, live free die. or die. And it's like, that's a, a little extreme. If I had to choose, I think I'll go with the famous potatoes. Anyway, uh, we were just talking about President's Day. And uh, what's interesting, uh, George Washington's birthday, February 22nd, uh, 1732, Country decided to honor Washington's memory in 1885 by making February uh, 22nd a, a, a holiday for all federal workers. Um, where this got complicated, and again, to circle back to what Brian was talking about, around the turn of the century, states like Connecticut, Illinois, Missouri, and New York decided that they also wanted to observe Abraham Lincoln's birthday as a legal public holiday. And that was uh, February 12th, 1809. And, you know, it, but here's the problem. February, already the shortest month. So having some states observe the birth dates of two presidents as official holidays within 10 days of one another was really cutting into national productivity. So out of this came... Uniform Monday holiday law uh, go, go, signed into the you know uh, signed into law in 1971, uh, declaring that the third Monday in February would now be President's Day and honoring the memory of both Washington and Lincoln. And so, how does the retail world celebrate this holiday? By holding mattress sales. Though what's interesting is that there evidently is there's a real historic tie to this. That, you know what? You know uh, why do we associate mattresses with Lincoln and, and Washington? Well, it turns out during the Revolutionary War, Washington, you know, General George Washington, as he went into battle leading, you know, the the uh, the revolutionaries against the British. He, as part of his traveling uh, office, so to speak, his, his battlefield office, brought not one but three different mattresses with him. I, you know, and, and and then if we pivot to Lincoln, I mean, Lincoln was uh, what was it, six feet four? So this is a guy who, 
in his lifetime probably had trouble finding mattresses that fit. And, and just in case you're wondering, folks, Washington was 6'2". So, yeah, Matt, that may have also factored into him hauling three mattresses So were, were these California King mattresses that they had? I don't know. <laughs> Did they call it a California and King or was it like... <laughs> I, I get out that, well, I... I I I think that was still Mexico uh, at that point, wasn't it? So you it was know, a Mexican so, king. Uh, Mexican king. There we go. All right. Anyway, I know, folks, that has absolutely nothing to do with Star Wars or Lucasfilm. And just wanted to share some pointless trivia with you. Okay, now to the news. And as always, the news portion of today's Looking at Lucasfilm is brought to you by Touring Plans. And if you're headed to Orlando anytime soon and plan on checking out that tourist destination's many, many theme parks, Touring Plans can help you save time and money. So before you book that flight to Florida, please check them out at touringplans.com. And Brian, speaking of theme parks, the Galactic Star Cruiser, that Star Wars themed hotel that used to give guests the opportunity to journey down to the surface of Batuu and explore Black Spire Outposts, aka the, the Galaxy's Ed portion of Disney's Hollywood Studios, a movie-based uh, theme park at, at the Walt Disney World Resort in Florida. Now that shuttered back on September 30th of last year, uh, 2023. And where this gets interesting is since we recorded our last Looking at Lucasfilm, construction permits have been filed. These went in on uh, January 29th, and it's the Sun State Awning and Graphics Design. It's a Florida-based company that provides custom fabrics and metal awnings. They're supposed to be doing some work on the property. Oh, so are they making it ready for a, a movie set for Pigs in Space? <laughs> oh, would that they could. Um, well, all right. Now, here's the thing. All right. The place has been closed for four months. And again, this is Florida, known for its extremes of weather, right. of heat and moisture and that sort of thing. So just to be fair here, we could just be dealing with maintenance. You know, I mean, okay. just literally Disney doing what it has to to maintain the facility. On the other hand. This could also be the first step in the Halcyon's return. Oh, cool. Well, as an actual Disney World hotel or as an extension of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Now, that would be great. It's worth noting here that the area immediately adjacent to Star Wars, the Galactic Star Cruiser, is wetlands. Uh, and as Len noted on a recent Disney dish, Walt Disney World has just adjusted its overall development plan so that certain areas on property that previously had been indicated as something you just could not build right. on, they are now being listed as marginally buildable. Well, wasn't, wasn't the whole area basically swampland and they just re reclaimed it, so to speak? Well, see, now, but that's the thing. Since, dear Lord, since Disney announced in, I want to say, 65, what they were doing in Central Florida. There have been multiple, multiple, multiple site plans. And some of them, for example, when they bought the farmland that eventually became the, the Disney Wilderness Preserve, um, yeah, it was 300 mm -hmm. acres, or excuse me, 3,000 wow. acres of swampland, which then Disney, you know, pivoted to and basically said, look, that mitigates what we're about to do here on property. And, you know, building on, uh, you know, a dish you know, previously uh, swampland. So, yes, you know, that if we're being honest here, you know, they, all 43 square miles of Walt Disney World is basically swampland. So land. it wouldn't be that difficult to build a whole new structure adjacent to it, like a swimming pool and a... Uh, and shops and stuff. It's interesting you, you say that because we did have a listener who shared a potential site plan oh, cool. for this property showing where, you know, if, if, for example, Disney were to look at it and to turn it into a really for real hotel, which would need a parking lot, it would need a swimming pool and that sort of thing, sort of showed where these things could be added if that were the way to go. But again, you know, just want to stress here, all we have right now is this single construction permit, you know, which again, uh, you know, it, it just could be maintenance. Okay. So this is an evolving situation, folks, and we will keep you posted as further construction permits, if they're filed, come to well, light. Well, you had stayed on the Halcyon. Could it be turned into a 
a luxury hotel? Could it be something that, you know, like um, Animal Kingdom that somebody would want to pay premium dollars for? And are the rooms um, adequate? Is, you know, like, like if they do add restaurants and, you know, food court and things like that, that would add to it. But being it as it is now, do you think people would pay 500 bucks a night to stay with a family in in this place? Mm. Um, that's honestly hard to say. I mean, you know, the, the uh, you know, uh, think about it. These things were basically glorified uh, cruise ship cabins. Right. And, and in fact, you know, kind of the irony, the, uh, the Disney Cruise Line, uh, you know, added to the interior cabins they had their virtual porthole, you know, that they, they had, you know, the view off the ship that would be augmented by, you know, funny little bits of, of animation of, you know, Disney characters flying by or, or that sort of thing. And so in a weird sort of way, the rooms aboard the Halcyon had the very same thing, only you were staring out into space and you'd see why, you know, when the ship jumped to, and likewise, if, if you were coming into orbit, you could see the planet or other ships around the, the, the planet that were also coming in. I don't know if, you know, given how tiny the space was and, you know, you were asking people, you know, I mean, there was one bed and typically a bunk right. bed, uh, you know, and that's a lot to ask people to pay top dollar for, but Anyway, now we were just talking about Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and now we'll expand out to not only the East Coast version, but the West Coast cool. version. That's and, my version. And again, this, <laughs> yeah, and then Disney is always thinking ahead and, you know, with an eye toward cultivating that next generation of Star Wars fans, uh, there is the Star Wars Young Jedi Adventure television series. Now, uh, this debuted on uh, Disney Plus, as well as over on Disney Junior last year on May 4th. Uh, May the 4th be with you. Uh, and again, show largely aimed at preschoolers. Uh, we got 25 episodes in season one. And this past week on uh, Valentine's Day, February 14th, uh, the, the characters from Star Wars Young Jedi Adventure um, they actually traveled to Black Spire Outpost. Uh, there was uh, one episode called The Tale of Short Spire, and then a uh, second episode, uh, The Caves of Batu. And just to be clear here, these episodes uh, were basically Tail End Charlie's. Uh, you know, they, they were uh, episode 22 and episode 23, respectively. And uh, in the case of the tales of Short Spire, the young Jedis visit the Jedi Temple that's located uh, there in the wilderness of Batu. Uh, by the way, this isn't something that guests can actually get to, but if you played the Star Wars Tales of the Galaxy's Edge virtual reality game, which came out on the PlayStation 5 back in November of 2020, uh, roughly a, a year and a half after the Disneyland version of Black Spire Outpost opened. But you you could visit this temple in the wilderness as part of that game. Oh. But then, you know, as part of the show, the young Jedis, they, they went to the cantina, they visited the marketplace, they even went to the milk stand where you can get your blue and green milk. In fact, don't try this at home, kids. Kids, but as part of the show, they actually used the blue and green milk to short circuit some, <laughs> some obnoxious droids. Now, isn't this show supposed to take place almost 100 years before the movies? 200 years? 200, so yeah. So the same it, time it, as the um, Acolyte. Uh, yeah, it, it, it said in the, the High Republic. So Black Spire, did they, did they change the look of um, the, uh, the outpost? Did it look cleaner, newer, anything like that? Yeah. Uh, you're not wrong. And and also what's kind of interesting is that there are, of course, you know, uh, Disney fans and Star Wars fans that have been to both Black Spire Outposts. And, and what was interesting is there were folks who were commenting after viewing both of these episodes that, you know, <laughs> you know, what's interesting is if you know, you know, the, the East and West Coast versions and the subtle differences between them, this really reflected more... Uh, the Disneyland version. Okay. 
of Black Spire House than it did the Walt Disney World version. But Now, could this be something that they could build there and make it like in a little attraction for these? I mean, it, it's 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 a discovery game, right? Or a discovery thing, like a, they find a treasure or something? Well, I mean, remember, this is, this is an animated series for preschoolers, so... Uh, don't get me wrong. You know, it's it's Disney. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you go to your local Target or you go to shop Disney, and this show is supported by a fairly robust uh, retail program. And what's kind of interesting, though, is there's a number of folks who have been waiting just the effect of, hey, when are you announcing season two? Oh, okay. Because uh, this, you know, again, you know, normally when you have this strong a retail program and this. You know, uh, evidently it's gotten decent numbers and, you know, everyone seems happy with it. And more to the point, you know, uh, the folks at, at Lucasfilm really want, you know, the High Republic right. to work as an initiative. So you got something that's, it's basically for kids. And uh, what's happening over at Universal right now? Um, they have a whole land that basically is focused on video games and basically focus two kids well now remember we're, we're talking about the animated series not the tales of galaxy's edge the um reality uh virtual reality game though uh, later in the show we will but i'm just saying universal studios has a whole nintendo land that that it's just it's raking in the dough and i think that a lot of people are for and look what they're doing in texas isn't that going to be basically for for you know kids so I think they're forgetting the whole, you know, they're trying to get the teenagers, but there's still the kid element there. But again, remember, though, we're talking about the animated series that visited the the theme park. Isn't, you know, uh, it'll be interesting further on down the line to see if they do, in fact, decide based on the reaction to these episodes that maybe we do need to include a Young Jedi Adventures component in Galaxy's Edge. But now, speaking of animated series, though, uh, Wednesday of this week, uh, February 21st, day this podcast goes live, we get the first three episodes of season three of Star Wars The Bad Batch. Now, Brian has managed to see uh, the video out ahead of this. There's a They showed a three-minute clip of... Um, cross. What was his name? Crosshairs. He is in a uh, prison cell, and on the other side, Omega comes to him and tells him she had a difficult time getting away and finding him. And she says, "What are we gonna do?" And he goes, "We're gonna do nothing. You can't get out of here." And she is. Des, she's really she thinks she can, and she wants to go out with him. So I think that's gonna be, you know, a main aspect of the two of them uh, planning an escape. Well, now interesting you say that because again, remember, you know, uh, I think we talked previously to kickstart this season of Bad Batch uh, episode or season three will actually start with three episodes being available right. to uh, download simultaneously off of Disney+. Plus. Now, um, that said, and I apologize, this is probably a slight spoiler, and I want to stress that there are 15 episodes scheduled for season three of, of The Bad Batch, and you have to wait till episode seven before there's even a title that says Extraction. So... Uh, could be uh, a okay. while. But it's still good that there's going to be 15 episodes because I, I, I really think that this is a setup for everything's going to happen in the the Filoni universe, the, the Mando universe. I think it's a lot of what's happening now are basically setting up and and basically putting all the pieces together so everything's going to make sense when these movies start hitting the screen. Speaking of which, though, uh, just a quick aside before we get to the, those movies you were talking about. Uh, we were just talking about Star Wars Tales of Galaxy's Edge re reality game. And Brian, in your research for this week's show, there's now a Mandalorian 
video game headed our way? Yeah, there is rumor that there's a um, Mandalorian game that is um, that is in the works at Respawn. And IGN was one the first people who... They said the Star Wars and the Apex Legends developer Respawn Entertainment is reportedly working on a first-person Mandalorian game. And I wonder if that's going to be a tie-in with the Mandalorian and Grogu movie that was announced back in January. And what, what, what they have a date of maybe 2025 for that. So Yeah, now, just to be clear here, you came across this info over on the direct and we potentially have release dates for the next three Star Wars film projects. Yeah, on the direct, they the rumors are there's four projects coming up, and there's dates, but the, nothing was connected to it. So the direct made a kind of, this is probably going to go there type of thing. So they think that May 22nd, 2026, will be the Mandalorian Grogu, okay? Which makes sense. Because that's the May 25th weekend that um, Lucas and Lucasfilm loves. December 18th, the same year, will be Ray's New Jedi Order. Okay. Okay, so that's the same year. Now, these are two different animals, but so was Solo and The Last Jedi. So you got these, you know, will they, people feel, well, I've already seen one. Do I have to see another one this year? But of course, look what happened with Marvel. There was like three or four releases in a year, and everybody went to see him. Yeah, for a while. And then the Filoni one, December 17th, the following year, 2027. And that's going to be a Mandoverse crossover, or maybe um, something called Dawn of the Jedi. Maybe that's what he's going to call it. That, or at least this is what Direct says. And it, ma- it makes a little sense. I mean,. It'd be interesting if those release dates hold. Before that, though, uh, something is coming back. You heard this, yeah. right? <sighs> okay. Uh, <laughs> you didn't want to sit. You didn't want to get to this yet. Well, I think the the we were just talking about the Mandovers, right. which once upon a time uh, included the character Cara Dune. She was. An, uh, an Alderanian uh, bounty hunter? I yeah, mean, she, was, she was a mercenary, and um, she got connected with the Mandalorian, and then she became a, uh, uh, what was it, a ranger. And uh, they were going to do a whole series around her, which was basically going to be about, um, oh, who, who escaped... Well, basically, it was going to be about her as a bounty hunter, or at least going after people who have escaped. And she just said a couple things that were on her mind, and they were not... Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I mean, don't get me wrong, I I really enjoyed this character. And in fact, i kind of remiss here that I, I tend to associate her with Carl Weathers' character from... The Mandalorian, and we just lost, uh, you know, a Carl in the past week or so, and it, it was fascinating to watch the number of folks who who stepped forward and just had, you know, really kind things to say about it, and so enjoyed their time on set with them. And in fact, uh, the actor actress uh, Gina Carano, who played Cara Dune, talked about how. You know, Carl. You know when this all went down, when Disney and Lucasfilm decided to let her go because of uh, some of the tweets she made. You know, it was Carl who reached out and said, "You know, can you fix this? Can you, you know, uh, could you fight?" And look, you know, I want to point out that there, you know, James Gunn you know, uh, also lost his job at Disney because of things that he tweeted. And, but given the way that he handled the situation, uh, Disney brought him back and, you know, he wound up directing, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And, and again, I, I, I read, you know, in fact, there were people at, at Lucasfilm who were telling me that they were building an entire spinoff of the Mandalorian on the back of the Cara Dune character. And the, and that was the thing they were reaching out to Gina and it's like, 
you don't understand, you know, that, that you are literally burning down your career here. And, you know, the, I mean, you're working for Disney, you're working for a company that is making things for children and, and you know, not to belabor the obvious here, but we don't know what Captain Kangaroo's political affiliation is. We don't know what Fred Rogers, you know, just sort of when you're working for people who make stuff for kids, you know, we don't want to know what you know. And uh, but uh, you know, Brian and I were talking about this pre-gaming today, and you 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 have a different opinion, right? I think this whole thing about canceling people. Is just, I mean, you can you can make them be responsible for what they say, but to cancel somebody for saying things is some people get canceled because of really horrifying things, and that should happen. Um, you know, if they break the law or if they do something horrible to other people, especially children. But she just spouted her her opinion. And um, she, you know, in this world right now, she should have backed down and just said, that's my opinion. I'm going to stick to it. But now she's suing. But part of her suing and part of what she wants is to bring the character back. Did you hear that? I mean, I I did. I did. And, um, you know, and more to the point, it's worth noting that Elon Musk is supposedly in her corner and is funding this so it will be interesting to see how this plays out you know the other thing to be honest you know remember it it, it was stuff that she tweeted about the pandemic and it was stuff that she she's an election denier and we are headed into a fairly contested uh you know already you know heated election season so but you you also were right when you said something where um you 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 know you're entitled to your opinion but disney is a family company disney is for kids basically big kids little kids whatever this kind of thing that comes in there that doesn't that doesn't go well with their main their main opinion what they want to show to people but still it, it it's it, i i I don't know. I just want to put this out here that, you know, there might be a double standard here. I mean, I, I, anyone who follows Mark Hamill, uh, he says some pretty pointed things about our former president. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, Mark Hamill is a beloved member of the Lucasfilm family. You know, it, it, there's, it, you know, Mark gets to say what Mark, so I don't know. I, you know, I, I, well, I think they should bring her back. She's a great character. She's not a great actress, but her character is great, and she does it great. And it's something that I I love to see in the the universe. I mean, I I love the Bill Burr character too. And if we get to see him in the movie, I'll be like ecstatic beyond no end. But there's been a lot of great characters that the Mando universe has brought in, and she was one of them. She was. She was. And I, I just remember back in the day, you know, when this all started to go down and just thinking, shut up. You know, you, you know, I mean, you, you, you know, this is huge for you. You could, you know, I, I again, and all right. Anyway, I'm going to shut up yeah. now. <laughs> but uh, to circle back to uh, what uh, Brian was teasing a moment ago. Yes, a fan favorite is returning to theaters uh, in just uh, a, a few weeks now, but, which we'll talk about in depth on the second half of today's show. But first, this.
And we're back. Before we get to our feature for today, I uh, want to talk about uh, some Star Wars related news that literally came over the transom just that Brian and I were getting ready to record today's show. And did you hear about this auction over in London where uh, they, they, they auctioned off a, a copy of the script for Star Wars that uh, Harrison Ford accidentally left behind uh, when he moved out of his flat? When they were making a new hope, oh, was, uh, back is in, that the 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 maid found it? <laughs> yeah, the, well, uh, it, in fact, what's interesting is the script is dated for March fifteenth, nineteen seventy six, and uh, evidently, uh, while uh, Harrison was uh, in Harrisfordshire, <laughs> Harrisfordshire, working at L Street Studios, when he moved, he left the script behind, and mind you, it's it's. Uncomplete. Uh, it has all sorts of different colored pages, which for various different revisions that were done over the course of production. So you know from your work on on, yeah. on films, Ryan. I mean, that's the the real deal. And um, yeah, we used to have bets on what color pages would be next. There we go. There we go. But uh, but this was supposedly the fourth draft of the screenplay. But anyway, today today it came up for auction. And the initial estimates was that it would sell for somewhere between 8,000 and 12,000 pounds. It actually wound up selling, and they were correct. It sold for 10,795 cool. pounds, which roughly translates to $13,000 in uh, you know, U.S. cash. But yeah, I'd love to... To read that because it, you know, it, it they mentioned that there uh, includes scenes and characters that didn't make it into the finished film. So, all right. Well, anyway, all right. So, as we alluded to, a fan favorite is returning to theaters, and that would be Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh, it is uh, coming back to theaters. May 3rd of this year, uh, the day before May 4th, May the 4th be with you. Brian, I'm going to start out by saying I'm actually kind of intrigued that Disney is doing this, given that their experiment with bringing those Pixar films that, because of the pandemic, didn't get the chance to really be released theatrically, uh, Soul and Turning Red, uh, they did not do well at all. Well, that that was, you know, um, I think you guys talked about that on um, Fine Tuning, that there wasn't a big uh, marketing campaign to, to I mean, I didn't, I, I was just like you guys, I didn't know it was even in the theater until I went to the theater and then saw not even a poster for it, but, you know, up in red letters that, you know, the movie was in there that soul was in there and i thought it was some kind of some other movie and then i remembered oh no this is the re-release films but remember when before disney was, or before lucasfilm was sold to disney they were bringing back all the movies in 3d and i went to see i, I mean i was so excited because now i was going to show my kids all the six movies in 3D uh, up on the big screen. And Phantom Menace was the first one. And of course, they loved it. They went nuts over it. They, you know, and in 3D, it, it, it was really, you know, the the pod races were were um, an added effect. It was really cool. But, uh, it, and it did well. It really did well because, first of all, the 3D aspect, because Avatar had just come out and brought 3D back. So that was... Um, you know, one thing that people wanted to see, and and two, they wanted to see it on the big screen. I don't think it's a bad idea. Well, the other the other thing worth noting here is that this film came out uh, initially May of ninety nine. So we're talking; it's the twenty fifth anniversary. Right. In a weird sort of way, it's said, okay that that I think puts more gas in the tank, gives it a little more heat, and they'll market it too. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, you know, want to remind folks that uh, you know this is the film that introduced you know uh, Mace Window to the greater Star Wars community, and and Brian uh, dug up uh, as part of his research for today's show that Samuel Jackson, uh, you know, <laughs> is out there once again saying, you know, Mace is not in fact dead. <laughs> yeah. He's out there promoting Argyle, which is a good movie. A really fun movie, but he's out there promoting it, and everybody is asking him, 
what about Mace Windu? Because I think he put put out there on um, X that uh, you know nobody knows if he's dead or not, and now he's really he's really pushing for it, and it seems like um, you know, look, they cut Darth Bane and or what whatever his name is, Darth um, Maul in half, and then put him back together. So I don't see why they can't bring um, Mace Windu back. I mean, he and he says, you know, he's not dead. But let's have a let's have a um, a Disney Plus series, and it would be a great series. Show what happened, bring him to the, you know, into the, and then he could be in the next movies. You know, he's he's on the island with the Bad Batch, and he's healing or something. You know, who knows? Okay, well, well, we have to check in with Mister Filoni. See if there's yeah, see if he wants right. Mace Windu in there. Okay, so to get back to Phantom Menace, uh, I, I mean, face it, when when George originally wrote the Journal of the Wills, and you know, and and there was this you know expansive Star Wars narrative, and he mentioned you know as they were wrapping up Empire that you know well you know that that it, it might be interesting at some point to circle back on the story and do the. You know uh, the the story story of of you know uh, the early days of Obi Wan Kenobi, or for that matter, how Darth Vader became Darth Vader, and so um, and George, you know, uh, t- you know, ten years after uh, Return of the Jedi begins writing Phantom Menace in ninety three, and they put you know once he gets a script, you know, in some sort of shape, they 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 put it into development uh, up at Skywalker Ranch in ninety four. Mind you, it takes a full three years before this thing actually gets in front of cameras uh, in June of 97. And what's kind of interesting is George hasn't been behind a camera since the production of the original Star Wars in 76. So, you know, 23 years since he'd last sat back there. And so... I, and, you know, the irony is he's back in the desert of Tunisia again, and it's like, <laughs> did I not learn anything? Now, the other thing worth noting here, and this is kind of fascinating, because when the original Star Wars was being produced, again, in 76 or thereabouts, George was very upfront uh, when it came to directing Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher, that this was a film for kids. And that informed their performance choices. And, you know, I mean, he he basically sort of insinuated that this is kind of a Disney film. Yet he did tell Carrie there were no bras in space. Well, that there is that. <laughs> so uh, worth noting with Phantom Menace that George really leaned into it, you know, that this was a children's film for this first of the prequels. So you had a lot of stuff in this that was deliberately aimed at making it appealing for kids. Uh, you know, for example, the pod race sequence, uh, likewise, the, uh, I want to say, uh, when Anakin steals, is it the B-Wing? Uh, you know, and he's the one who actually takes oh, down right, the... Right. You know, uh, you know. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that if you're a young kid in the audience, there were things that about this that really appealed to. You. Now, on the other hand, you know, we have to talk about things like the trade ministers, uh-huh. uh, ministers. You know, and uh, well, look, you know, George has always been very upfront about whether it's Raiders or Lucasfilm or, or Star Wars or that sort of thing. Uh, that these are made based on movie serials of the 30s and the 40s. And those films really use very broad stereotypes. You know, uh, you know the, the, I mean, the villains, you know, <laughs> chewed the scenery. And, uh, and especially the ones that were produced during World War II. I mean, oh, dear Lord. Oh, you you watch, you know, the, like the Japanese stereotypes during that period where it's the buck teeth and the squinty eyes and... It you know it's not our our proudest moment, folks, and so you know that's kind of the problem a lot of folks have with Phantom Menace is they look at the trade ministers and it's like wow those are literally Japanese <laughs> stereotypes from World War Two. But I know? wonder why somebody didn't say say George, there's going to be a problem here. I mean, well, like right away you notice it. It's not like it's even hidden. 
I know. I mean, and, and in fact, you know, that also brings us to Jar Jar Banks, yeah. where a lot of people looked at that and and saw step and fetch it. You know, uh, and again, the interesting thing is you've talked with George. He, you know, he says, look, I, I based Jar Jar Banks on Buster Keaton. And also, and also Goofy. Yep, that's it exactly. That, you know, it, it was a, a character that always, you know, manages somehow to do right by doing wrong. You know, the, the accident prone, but it comes out okay. Well, you know what? Maybe that would have worked if you didn't have that voice. The voice was very. It was, it, you know, he does. It, it's pigeon English. He he's not smart. He just does stupid things. Well, maybe that would have worked if he had a, a different voice, like a goofy voice or something like that, and not the voice he had. I think that was the most offensive. Not that he was a goofy character, but that he had that that voice was just, you know, like nails on a chalkboard when you heard it because it was just it took you out of the movie a lot of times too you're not wrong uh, but at the same time you know ahmed best you know uh you know was going by what george was telling him to do ahmed was going by the script and uh, you know that poor guy I just know. got hammered and in fact i i that to me and again remember we're celebrating the 25th anniversary of this film and for a lot of little kids who went to theaters and it's like, that's my Star Wars. Phantom Menace is my Star Wars. And they grew up and it just, I think that's the nicest thing over the past couple of years is the the love and affection that this group of Star Wars yes. fans is showing uh, Ahmed Best. And, and likewise, you know, that the, they're also, you know, really pushing the prequels back into the spotlight. It's like, you know, I mean, I know that the original, the adults who saw, you know, uh, you know, a, a New Hope, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi in 77 to 83, you know, always tend to look down their nose at the prequels, and it's just sort of like, yeah. but there's a whole generation of folks are like, no, that's my Star Wars, and it's good. And I also like that they brought back the, the actor, Armin Best, as the Jedi that saved the younglings from the the attack on the Jedi Council. That's a Dave Filoni, though. You know that that let let's give credit where it's due. That that's a Dave Filoni, you know, making good. Uh, and it, that was a, an inspired choice. And you know, I, I again, you know, that it, you you like people like that in power making those sorts of choices. Yeah. By the way, to if we're going to talk about Phantom Menace, so by the way, again, again, hugely successful when it came out, made damn near a billion dollars worldwide when it was first released to theaters, uh, May of 99. Uh, and, you know, 16 years after uh, Return of the Jedi uh, opened in theaters. Here's the thing. When they were developing this film, I mean, Lucas actually calls down to Imagineering. And this is like, 97 and it's like hey can you guys come up to skywalker ranch i got something i want to show you mm. uh and he brought them in and it's like can you look at look at what we're doing with the pod race scene you know and you know when we did um initially did star tours you know, when that opened in January of 87 at Disneyland, there was always this discussion that every three years we'd add a new ride film. And, the, you know, especially it, the thinking was there were four simulators down in, in California. And it's like, if we add a new ride film, a new destination every year, in 10 years' time, there will be, you can go to, to Anaheim, to Disneyland, and you can, you know, at the point, well, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to, you know, Endor? Do you want to go to Tatooine? Do you want to go, you know, uh, and and the thing is that because the line never died, they kept the, you know, uh, you know, light speed to Endor. Uh, but George was like, look at this. Look at what we're doing here. You know, this could be a cool new ride film for Star Tours. So the Imagineers agree. Uh, and they begin work on it. And here's the thing. And I want to give credit where credit's due here. It was David Koenig, all right, who's the author of the definitive histories of the, the, the Disney parks. Uh, Mouse Tales, uh, the one about Disneyland, and Reality Land, the one that's about Walt Disney World. He's the one who broke this story uh, back in May of 2005. 
Uh, he, I want to say it was for, in fact, you can go today to the article. I want to say it's over on Mouse Planet uh, under the name uh, New Tours. But it's the actual storyline for the pod race version of Star Tours. Okay, so here's how it starts. All right, starts off, you enter and picture it. Now, keep in mind, you know, that the, let's let's imagine the Disneyland version of the Star Tours building. So you walk in and, and you know, you enter the pre-show and you find out you're no longer headed to Andor. Your new destination is the Lunar Olympics on Yavin. Uh, and mm. star speeders seem to be the same, but when you get on board, no more wrecks. Your pilot's a much more seasoned veteran. You know, and what's so funny is that when you're in the, the line for the vehicles, you actually see the, uh, the star speeder in front of you make the wrong turn from the original ride film. So, you know, uh -huh. so the inference is Rex is still here. You know, he's just in the star speeder ahead of you. All right. So anyway, you jump to light speed, but you accidentally now you end up in the equivalent of star speeder heavy traffic. <laughs> and so the but the, your veteran pilot now says, I know a shortcut. So he veers off to the side, but now he's lost. And so he pulls into the stadium uh, where, uh, you know, Jabba's pod race thing is happening and he literally rolls down the window to ask directions you know the effect of how do i you know like i'm looking for the lunar olympics of yavin but he because he's leaning out and talking to one of the pit droids he doesn't notice that these mechanics put pod racer engines uh. on the side of your star speeder all right and then when you come out you suddenly are in in among the other star speeders and he's like well let's try it and so you know you you know you're there at the starting line and suddenly you take off and then you are in you know you're you're, you're going through the the canyons you're going through the obstacles you have the villain in front of you who lobs the bomb back at you anyway um you win the race <laughs> but here's the thing you you know again breaks where are the breaks where are the breaks and you fly into the stands and crash. And now when the door opens up and you exit your Star Tours ride vehicle, it's not just that, that naked stairs that, that takes you down to the Star Trader. You are surrounded by animatronic aliens oh, who are yelling cool. at you because you've crashed in the stands. And, and now when you come down the stairs, you enter basically the gift shop at you know Jabba's palace and only after that once you pass through there do you go back out to classic tomorrowland but yeah that they had developed that ride the year after you know phantom menace was in theaters and you know the, the notion was they were going to announce in 2000 they'd have it up and running in time for uh 2001 and then Lucas and Disney had a falling out, uh, you know, largely because of of Michael Eisner. Uh, and, you know, and again, remember, you know, uh, you know, uh, David shares this story in May of, of 2005. The actual ride, the new version of Star Tours, The Adventures Continue, doesn't show up in the parks till six years later, June of 2011. And I bring that up because I want to remind folks that in May of this year, we're going to get a brand new Star Tours uh, ride film. And this is the one that features Mando and Grogu and Ahsoka. So, you know, at least things are moving that little bit faster. So are they changing any of the, um, you said they were going to, the original idea for the redo that you'd go out and you'd see all the aliens and stuff. Are they doing anything like that again for this new one? Or are they just going to? Uh, Magic 8-Ball says no. Okay. Look, you know, it's been a while since we've had a, a, a Star Wars theatrical release that's done really well. You know, on the other hand, we have, our limited series for Disney Plus, you know, uh, The Mandalorian. We have Ahsoka. We have the the Book of Boba Fett. Forgive me for saying this, but there's still kind of a thinking within Imagineering, you know, to the effect of, well, that's just Disney Plus. Okay. You know, so there's a certain level of funding that because it's just Disney Plus. Now, if this were uh, a theatrical release, you know, we'd be having a different conversation. <laughs> uh, but 
But again, uh, you know, speaking with folks, that, you know, who are, who are familiar with what's going on at, at 1401 Flower Street, there is an evolution in thinking that's going on. You know, the, you know, the, the hard reality is if you think about the way the, the generation that Disney is chasing right now consumes media. Right. Uh, you know, they, they're watching stuff on their phones. They're watching stuff on their laptops. You know, they are not going to theaters. And so the whole notion is, doesn't matter where they're watching it. That's the stuff we need to put in the parks. And, and again, that's why we're getting this new ride film with Mando and Grogu and Ahsoka and Boba Fett. Uh, and if this succeeds, watch what happens in the parks. But that'll be a topic that, that uh, Brian and I will talk about in a future show. And toward that end, uh, we will we'll be back with a brand new episode of Looking at Lucasfilm in two weeks' time. Uh, in the meantime, Brian, where can folks find you in the social media sphere? Uh, I, I hang out at on um, Instagram right now, and it's B-T-Gone, G-A-U-G-H-A-N. And, you know, I don't put a lot up there, but I do put stuff up there, like what movies I see, et cetera. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, me, you can find me on the site formerly known as Twitter, now X. Uh, also on Instagram, on Instagram as Jim Hill Media and also on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Uh, and want to remind you, we have a bunch of other podcasts uh, we do here. We, of course, have... Disney Dish that I do with Lentesta. We also have Fine Tuning, which I do with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, has his own wonderful podcast he does with Charles Hood about the uh, the Mission Impossible movies like The Fuse. Let's see. Uh, just started up uh, or revived the uh, our Universal podcast, uh, now known as Epic Universal Podcast. I'm doing that with Eric Hersey. Uh, and also, uh, it's on the, uh, it's on the YouTube, but, uh, we, we have brought back, uh, I want that, uh, now it's called, I want that too. Uh, and I'm doing that with, uh, Lauren Hersey. Oh, cool. So we get to see, um, the stuff. You get to see the stuff and not only that, yeah, me and Lauren's faces. So that I, I, you know, <laughs> that might be a downside, at least in my case. Also, want to remind you. Uh, speaking of videos, uh, we have our first ever video series. Myself and Len uh, collaborating with Jim Shule, Disney Unpacked, and uh, for March, uh, we are going to be taking a look at Rock and Roller Coaster, uh, which. Mr. Shul helped get up out of the ground. That's our first ever thing for Patreon, and we, you know, that's got to be supported by a full suite of shows. So go check that out. Let's see. Uh, beyond that, folks, if you could do Ryan and I a favor, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and uh, rate and recommend uh, the show you're listening to right now, looking at Lucasfilm. Also, if you if you're on Patreon. Um, just like leave some comments um, to us, what like things you want to hear or things you don't want to hear, and um, we'll 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 take it under consideration. Okay, well that is going to do it for this week's folks. Uh, thanks again for listening, and like I said, Brian and I will be back with a brand new looking at Lucasfilm in two weeks' time. So till then, thanks for coming by. We'll see you soon.